So I've now done research with thousands and thousands and thousands of women asking a question that's much more neutral, just what is your most reliable route to orgasm? And when it's asked that way, only 4% say penetration alone. The rest either say clitoral stimulation alone or clitoral stimulation coupled with penetration. Hi everyone, I am Tash Doherty and welcome back to Miseducated where we discuss unlearning and the female experience. Now I have to say I don't think there's a topic that we need to unlearn as much about as female pleasure and the orgasm gap and all of the elusive mysteries about how we can have more orgasms as females. So today I am super excited to introduce Dr. Laurie Mintz who is one of the world's leading experts on female orgasms. She's a professor of psychology at the University of Florida, where she teaches human sexuality. And she's the author of the best-selling book, Becoming Clitorate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. And I am reading the book right now. I'm going to go out on a whim and say it is my favorite book that I have read so far this year. Oh, that so, <laughs> means so much to me. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's really blowing my mind. Your other book is Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, Reclaim Your Desire and Reignite Your Relationship. So thank you so much for joining it us. It is my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Cool. So the plan for this conversation so far is we'll dive first into your background. And then I want to go through all of the quotes that were kind of blowing my mind from Becoming Cliterate. And then I also have some audience questions after that, kindly submitted by my readers and my, uh, my friends on Instagram. So you got your bachelor's, your master's and your PhD in psychology. Were you interested in the field or what got you interested in psychology to begin well, with? I always knew I wanted to be a psychologist. I always just found people very interesting. And I mean, I was one of those really rare kids who knew what they wanted to do from the time they were little. Um, so yes, I always knew I wanted to be a therapist, a psychologist. What was not on my radar was being like, was working in the field of sex therapy. I never even heard of that, you know? So that was a later in career interest. In fact, for many, many years, I worked primarily with women with eating disorders and I was raised in a very unusually sex positive household. So the bottom line is I always asked my clients about sex and nine times out of 10, the answer would be, yeah. And you, I wouldn't have told you had you not asked. So, and it made me realize a, how little training both psychologists and physicians get in sexual health. If I had to retrain myself, get certified, do a deep dive. So yeah, I always knew I wanted to do therapy and psychology, but entering into this field has been life altering because it gives me the tools to help so many people with something that many people are struggling with, but feel too ashamed to talk about, bring up. So, and once I got into the field, it's just been like, now it's like all I do, all I talk about, and I never get bored. What's interesting is we, there's so much information we still don't know about sex and so many myths out there that we need to debunk. So long-winded answer to your question. 
No, that's amazing. And I'm glad that you're as interested in the topic as, as I am. In what point in your academic journey did you become interested in this issue of female pleasure then? So to be very transparent, when I wrote my first book, it was really for women who were experiencing pleasure, but who'd lost their desire. And what motivated that, frankly, was every woman I knew, myself included, reached this certain age and were like, oh my gosh, we're not interested in sex anymore. What's happening? We want to be. So I did that. I did a deep dive in the literature. I found out all the causes, the solutions. I was able to put it in a self-help manual. And then one thing led to the other after that book was, you know, on the market. I got more and more opportunities. And one of the opportunities I got was to move from the University of Missouri to the University of Florida, where there wasn't a human sexuality undergrad class and I could create and teach it. So that was like a very exciting opportunity. Plus I didn't mind moving somewhere warm, to be honest. And it was my students. I mean, I credit my students, their, their forthrightness with me, their willingness to share their pain with me and their joy with me. When I started teaching about female orgasm, I was floored with how many young women didn't even know what the clitoris was, thought that their vaginas were broken. Were They weren't just the numbers of the orgasm gap. They, they were the pain behind the orgasm gap. So I felt compelled to start teaching to close the orgasm gap in my classroom. And I was successful and I would get notes from students. Thanks to your class, I'm orgasmic. Thanks to your class, my girlfriend's orgasmic. And I thought, I need to put this out there beyond you know, my 200 students each semester at the University of Florida. And that's when I got totally. so intrigued with closing the orgasm gap culturally and in individual bedrooms. I have to really say that's a huge part of the book, Becoming Cliterate, as well, because you just really tap into all these experiences that are so relatable right now. And you talk a lot about the history of like our understanding of the clitoris and everything as well, where at different points in time, whether it was like, Freud, like messing us up and making us focus on like vaginal penetration over the clitoris. Then in the 80s, talking more about the G-spot and getting everyone confused. And you said you were raised in a sex positive household. So how is that squared with how you were raised or learn about the clitoris growing up versus what women are being taught about their bodies right now? That's a question. I don't think my mother ever overtly taught me about the clitoris. Although I can say I've taught my daughters, you know, But what she did say is sex is beautiful, sex is supposed to be pleasurable, sex is a good activity. There was no shame, no shame there. Well, I think I might have missed the second part of your question. Was there a point in your life where you realized that like not everyone had been raised in the same sex positive environment? Even when I was a teenager, because my friends would come over and talk to my mother and they wouldn't talk to theirs, you know. And then when I went to college, like... I learned even more, but I also grew up and I think there's regional and country differences and differences even in the U.S. Like when I moved to Florida and started teaching here, it was really when I like met a lot of young women raised in purity culture that they were told sex is dirty, sex is bad. If you have it, it's for the, you know, terrible. It's for the man. It's supposed to hurt. 
like it wasn't really till I started teaching young women at the University of Florida that I realized it's not just that everybody isn't raised in a sex positive, that some people are raised in a very sex negative, sex shaming culture. Totally. I mean, there's plenty of that to go around. And I guess I'll just speak to my own experience for a second that in terms of slut shaming, I remember having my first sexual experiences when I was a teenager. And then I was like, only going to have sex with 10 men in my whole life. Like once I get past 10, then I'll be the slut that I didn't want to be labeled as. And now that I'm like older, I think that's such a preposterous thing. You know, like these boys will be boys in culture at least creates a lot of shame around orgasms for women, as I'm sure you've seen like in your teaching. And shame about wanting sex, being horny, having sexual pleasure, having orgasms. Yes, absolutely. Totally. So when you set out to write Becoming Cliterate, what was your goal with the book? So my goal with the book was to expose the orgasm gap, expose the insidious sexism that is going on in the bedroom and towards women's sexuality, and to be part of the solution that you know, there was a sexual revolution in the 60s that made it acceptable for many people, right, to have sexual intercourse before marriage. But that revolution did nothing to ensure that both that women and men would be having equally pleasurable experiences. And I felt like it was time to take the revolution, if you will, to a new level. And I wanted to to be part of starting that, to empower women sexually. And so in the first section of the book, or section, you talk about the fact that your orgasm problem is a cultural problem. Now there's a lot of different like reasons why. I guess I'll just do this quote first, which is those literal first lines of your book are like, mm, feels so good, doesn't that feel good, baby? No, not really, you think. Oh yeah, you reply. You roll your eyes because thankfully in doggy style, he can't see your face. You're so ready for it to be over. I mean, it's so relatable. And yet, what is the big myth that you're already identifying in this first paragraph? We use the word sex and intercourse as if they're one and the same. We elevate that act as the act. It's the act through which men reliably orgasm, but women don't. So there's so many women faking orgasm during penetrative sex to appease their partner's egos, to get it over with because they're bored, you know, it doesn't feel good. And that's what I was getting at, that that's the problem this book and I wanted to set about solving. And the main myth that you first wrote about that blew my mind is that like most women cannot orgasm from vaginal penetration alone. I don't know why I still thought that was true, but like anywhere between like 4 and 14% of women orgasm from vaginal penetration. Okay, so the old studies back in the day, they would ask women, can you orgasm from intercourse? And 25% would say yes. So that statistic hung around a long time. But then researchers said, wait a minute, let's start asking women, can you orgasm from just a thrusting penis? And when they did that, only about 15 to 18% said yes. And then I started thinking, even that question like pulls you to say yes, because we think we're supposed to orgasm that way. So I've now done research with thousands and thousands and thousands of women asking a question that's much more neutral, 
just what is your most reliable route to orgasm? And when it's asked that way, only 4% say penetration alone. The rest either say clitoral stimulation alone or clitoral stimulation coupled with penetration. Yeah, I think that is like already so mind-blowing because I'm definitely one of the women who's like never orgasmed just from penetration alone. So I just think it's actually amazing that just that understanding in and of itself changes the game for women's orgasms, right? Like none of us have to continue to struggle or figure out like why this is not happening or like what's wrong with our bodies. There's other ways, there's other routes that we need to figure out that are actually going to bring us to orgasm a lot more often. Right. In the penis and the clitoris are analogous organs in, in infancy and, in, you know, in the womb, not the penis and the vagina. So in that sense, like, what are the other ways that you found that help women orgasm? Like, what are the kind of top tips that we can go into that you teach in your practice every day? First, get to know your body, learn your anatomy, get a mirror, find your parts. It's uncomfortable for a lot of people, but it really helps to know what's there and understand your anatomy and also understand your genitals are beautiful. A lot of women feel very self-conscious because they don't know that they're inner lip, it can stick out from their outer lip. They're not even in petite. So get to know your body. Then work with your mind. Think sex positive thoughts. No more slut shaming yourself. You know, think sex is for me. I deserve pleasure. No more attitude of if it's good for him, it's good for me. So think sex positive thoughts. Really work on your sex negative thoughts. And then mindfulness, which is really hard. It's putting your mind and body in the same place. And so many times our mind is one place, our body's another. We could be receiving oral sex and thinking about how do we look? How do we smell? Oh, shoot, I forgot to return <laughs> yeah. that email. Like we're not in our bodies and we know that we must be. Research is very clear. You need to be in your body, not in your head. So working, learn it in daily life, apply it to the bedroom. And then sexual communication, feeling empowered to say, this is what I want. This is what I like. And masturbate first though. Mas I, I skipped that. Masturbate. Self-pleasure yourself because everybody's <laughs> Vulvan nerves are positioned a bit differently. So you need to figure out what you like because everybody likes something different. And I'm wearing vibrator earrings to make a point. The, it is completely fine to use a vibrator. A lot of women don't have their first orgasm till they use one. And there's biological reasons for that. So figure out what you like. And then the most essential step to orgasming with a partner is getting the same type of stimulation you get alone. When women pleasure themselves, 1.5%, so less than 2%, do so by putting something exclusively in their vagina. Yet we expect that's how we're supposed to orgasm with men. It's a disconnect. So get the same type of stimulation you get alone. Um, there's no masturbatory style that can't be transferred with creativity and communication. And you need to learn communication to say what you want. And finally, the way you transfer is when you're having sex with a partner, no more foreplay just to get her ready for intercourse, intercourse, quote, sex over. Instead, take turns. We know lesbian sex is more orgasmic, and much of that is a turn-taking style. 
And if you really think you need to orgasm during intercourse, you're not going to, or don't focus on doing it through vaginal stimulation. If you're not one of those four to 18%, take your hand, take your vibrator, touch yourself during intercourse, get on the woman in top position, rub your clitoris against the pubic bone or the penis. So that's kind of a short summary of the whole book, the self-help part of the book anyway. And I guess one part that I just wanted to call attention to there is what we were kind of getting at, which is when we define sex, right? Like foreplay, as you're saying, in our culture is like, we see that as the getting ready for the male sex part, which is we call sex. Then the male reaches an orgasm and then the sex is over. But like, that's just privilege right there. It's like, we're saying that the actual only sex part that matters, did we have sex with them or not, is the penis part. The orgasm for females and the clitoris and everything, that's just lumped into foreplay, which is, you know, given a backseat, basically. You hit the nail on the head. That is the over, and I'm not blaming men. I'm married to a man for over almost 40 years now. Like, I don't dislike men. I don't, it's not men I'm blaming. It's the culture. It's a cultural privileging, exactly, of male sexuality. And the words we use reflect and perpetuate that foreplay, just to get her ready. Sex equals intercourse. And the other one, we call our entire genitals a vagina. And by doing so, we linguistically erase the part of ourselves that gives us the most pleasure And we call our entire genitals by the part that's most sexually useful to men, not women themselves. Yeah, that's what's so crazy about it is the invisibility of it. And as we're saying, all of the orgasms that you're going to probably have are through clitoral stimulation and also like vulva stimulation. And so that's what I really liked about your book too, was a bunch of different pictures. panel from the site of vulvas in all shapes and sizes. Yeah, like a montage of all of the different clitoral hoods, the different lip sizes. The variety is something that's beautiful to each woman. Each person has her own way that she reaches orgasm, each way that she looks. So is that something that you lean into with your practice as well? You know, self-consciousness, genital self-consciousness is an enemy of sexual pleasure. You cannot orgasm when you're holding your stomach in. You cannot orgasm when you're worrying how your vulva looks. Is there anything that you wanted to deep dive into a little bit more in terms of, let's say, communication, for example, with your partner? Once a woman has figured out how to masturbate on her own, how do you teach people in your practice to approach that, those conversations with a male partner? Yeah, and that's why I have a whole chapter in the book on communication, because we're not only not talked about, taught about the clitoris, we're not taught about communication, general or sexual. And so first of all, learning general communication skills and then applying them to sex, talking before sex. This is what I want to do. What do you want to do? Getting consent, talking during sex. You know, in the porn and movies, no one really talks. Then everybody knows what to do. It's okay to say, ooh, not there, move over, you know, harder, faster, ooh, right there. You know, it's okay to use your words. And then to talk about sex after, how was that for you? How could it have been better, etc.? You talk about the fact that the majority of men want to actually learn female pleasure as well. And that small amount of men who don't want to learn that are probably people that you should run away yes. from, basically. Clitor- like, you know, the whole 
thing out there that men don't care about women's pleasure. They're just in it for themselves. That's the cause of the orgasm. Sure, there's a few. Like I say, like you said, run. But the vast majority of men actually care a lot, but they've been really misguided. And that's why becoming clitorate can help them because so many men are like working hard to thrust hard and last long to be a better lover when that's, you know, what not where it's at for most women. And so I also encourage we need to stop making dick sized jokes because all they do is fuel male insecurity and give the idea that that's what's important. We need, if we want to joke, let's joke about flexibility of hands, flexibility of tongues, the ability to hold a vibrator. So we, it's not men's fault. It is not women's fault. This is a cultural problem. Yeah, and the other aspect of the cultural issue is prioritizing women's pleasure. Like, at least in my, a lot of my experiences, I guess I just thought for a long time that like the male orgasm was the most important one, you know, and I wasn't going to reach orgasm anyway because it was going to take me too long. So that kind of like prioritization that already happens in women's minds, like how do you encourage your clients or your students to prioritize and yeah, their own pleasure? It's getting rid of those deeply ingrained beliefs that his pleasure is the most important, yours doesn't count. And it's seeing clitoral stimulation and penetration equally valid forms of sex yeah so should we go on to some questions from the audience for now sure. so uh one person asked me how can you or how can a female reach more orgasms if she's on antidepressants great question so so what we know about antidepressants is that they do diminish desire arousal and orgasms okay now, some antidepressants have a better profile for that than others, so talk to your doctor about other medications. That's one route. But there are ways and scientifically proven ways in clinical trials to enhance orgasm. There was actually a paper in Mayo Clinic Proceedings that it reviewed all the evidence for orgasm on SSRIs, and I can't remember every single one, so I'm going to give my email. That reader can certainly email me. I'll send her the summary of the paper, but vibrator stimulation has been found to sometimes help, especially the ones that stimulate the whole internal, external clitoris, the womanizer, the lelosona cruise. Also, macaroot, which you can buy in a health food store, has some evidence. So there are some things that exercising before sexual activity, why? Because it gets the blood flowing and orgasm is about the blood flow. That's super helpful. Thank you. And another reader asks, why is it easier for men to have orgasms than women? And what factors are at play? It's, well, interesting. When women and men pleasure themselves, they have the same exact rate of orgasm, 95% orgasm, and it's about in the same amount of time, four minutes. So it's not that men have an easier time, it's that we, there's so many cultural factors at play. Like when we have partner sex, we're running it around the male orgasm, not the female. Also, women, when with partners, take a lot longer to get aroused. Why? Because we're more self-conscious of our bodies. 
maybe we don't feel safe because if it's a first time hookup partner, you know, can you, you know, there's so many safety issues as well. So there's so much, it takes women way more long to relax, to get into their pleasure with a partner. And we don't spend that time at all in heterosexual sex. It's just, again, rushing through to the act where males orgasm. Right. And can you tell us a bit more about the statistics around hookups and orgasms as well? Well, I mean, I, there's the gap is the biggest in hookup sex. And here's the study I found most fascinating. There was a very small study of bisexual women. So same woman, same body. And when their first time hookup partner was a woman, they orgasm 64% of the time when a man 7% of the time. So basically this says the problem isn't our bodies. The problem is the way we do heterosexual sex. And, you know, in first-time hookup sex, I mean, the gap is huge. In one study, it was 59% of men versus 10% of women. And do you think that's because women don't feel safe in the hookups? Oh, and that plays into sexuality? Or what are your kind of thoughts around of it, that? But from what I've been, my students have told me, the hookups are all about male pleasure. I mean, and the data bears that out. Men are much more likely to receive oral sex in a hookup than women. So we're not stimul- We're not prioritizing women's pleasure in hookups. Right. Unless we flip the scripts, as we talk about in the book. So another like flip side of this is that women are more likely to orgasm with partners that they've been with over time. And I'm wondering if you have any other like tips or reasons of why that might happen. Comfort, communication. You know, the longer you're with someone. See, a lot of times in hookups, women will say, oh, I can't ask for the stimulation I need. That would be pushy. But it's not pushy. But... Women feel much more comfortable explaining what they want in a relationship. And there's some evidence that men are more interested in hearing that as well. And plus just comfort. You know, you're not exposing your body for the first time. You know you feel safe, hopefully, etc. I think it would be really interesting to figure out what component of that is the body, the shaming aspect of it, not prioritizing pleasure, and then also just like general cultural feelings of being unsafe around men in general and and a lot of rape culture issues and stuff. Is that something that you also studied like alongside women's perceptions around sleeping with men for the first time or? I've not done personal research, but like that's all part of it. Everything you're naming is part of it. Totally. And so another reader asks, why is it so difficult for women to orgasm? Why does it require every inch of concentration? Well, it, it's first of all, because Ask, I'd ask that reader, does it take that much concentration when you're alone? Or is it only with a partner when your mind is, does he like me? Does my body look good? Etc. But it takes everybody every inch of concentration. That's mindfulness, truly being focused. It's a good thing to focus on your body and to concentrate on the feelings. So do you think that men just have the privileges as we've been talking about and are focused on their own pleasure more. So that's why they're, they're whole, the you know. whole thing. Well, I don't know first, you know, yes and no. I can't answer that exactly, really. But if we think about the way we do heterosexual sex, it makes it much easier for men to orgasm. Think about this, and I say this in the book. If we overprivileged 
female pleasure, the way we overprivilege male pleasure, we would call foreplay sex and intercourse postplay. That would be the main act. And I'm not suggesting we turn the tables, but I am suggesting that we even the playing field. Amazing. And so are there any questions that you would like me to have asked you as we continue with this conversation? I have like, those, those are my audience questions that we've done. Thank you for asking. I, I really want to take a few minutes to debunk vibrator myths. Really, really want to do that. So we know that women who use vibrators have easier and more frequent orgasms. We know that a man's acceptance of a female partner's vibrator use is related to her satisfaction. In fact, vibrators are empirically supported in the literature for helping women with orgasm. They're in the medical literature as, as sexual health tools. So we need to debunk the several myths. One, they'll replace a partner. No, they don't kiss, they don't cuddle, they don't make you laugh, they don't say I love you. All they do is provide a unique type of stimulation that vulvas love. Why do vulvas love them? Because we have something in our vulvas called pascinian corpuscles. They are skin receptors that respond to vibration. Penises have them too. So they don't replace partners, they just give great stimulation. Also, because penises have those same receptors, if you have your vibrator down on your vulva while the penis is there, the penis will catch some vicarious vibrations and enjoy it a lot too. We're starting to use vibrators on men for sexual health. Are they addictive? No. I mean, my metaphor here, carpenters <laughs> don't get addicted to power tools. They just get the job done easier. <laughs> Um, also people say, well, they desensitize my clit and we have to ask, what do they mean by that? Does it mean you'll go numb? Sure. If you use it an hour, don't do that. You know, just like don't ride your bike. If your butts gets numb, get off. But when people are saying that they mean, well, I need, need more and more intense stimulation. No, they mean, what if I always need it? My answer is, so what? We don't tell men, oh no, don't get used to intercourse or blowjobs. You might need them. It's only when it comes to vibrators. So I'm a massive advocate of, so in fact, let of vibrators, also lubrication. Sometimes we're excited in our mind and not in our genitals and vice versa. Store-bought lube is your best friend. So masturbate, lubricate, vibrate. Thank you. And with that, Dr. Mintz, we're so glad you could join us on Miseducated today and hopefully talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Miseducated. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. We would be eternally grateful. Or you can check us out on Substack and I will leave the link in the show notes so you can discover more stories about unlearning and the female experience. So thank you so much again for joining us and we'll catch you again soon. Lots of love. Bye.